Hello, and welcome to this week's Worldwide Civility Council podcast on civility. Today's podcast is part of the Civility Speaks series. Today's podcast discusses civility and the concept of the cancel culture. Civility Speaks is a podcast of Robert Sachs, and this episode is dated March 2nd, 2021. Welcome to Civility Speaks again. This is Robert Sachs. This is actually around the beginning of March, so this is the March edition. There might be other March editions, but uh, we'll just start with this one to start off the month. And it's on the topic of the cancel culture, the cancel culture and civility. I had put that in Facebook that I was going to be doing this, and I might have mentioned it in the last podcast that I did that I was going to be talking about this. And what I want to do to start off with is I want to read you the definition that's in Wikipedia, although it conforms with what's in Psychology Today, it conforms within Merriam-Webster's dictionary as to what cancel culture is about. And it says, uh, cancel culture or call-out culture is a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of a social or professional circles, whether it be online or on social media or in person. Those who are subject to this ostracism are said to be canceled. So, in this regard, it is also talked about that uh, what people are being canceled has to do with um, these can be public figures. These can be individuals that say something online and you're, you know, they're unfriended or whatever it is, uh, or they're taken off of certain media platforms, whatever. And it has mostly negative connotations and is put in the context of a violation of first right, uh, First Amendment rights or the issue of censorship. First of all, before we get too heavy into this, I want to get back to some very basic ideas that I've talked about throughout all of these podcasts. And this has to do with the three poisons within Buddhism called ignorance, attachment, and aggression. And these roughly translate as we don't understand things as they are. We don't understand reality all that well. We get attached to our preferences or our views as to what we think things are about. And we get annoyed, perturbed, aggressive, defensive uh, to those people or those ideas that disagree or don't conform with ours. This is the habitual samsaric mind, which each of us possesses, which is because even each of us possess it, we get together with people that are our cohorts and we create a reification of ideas, pros and cons that form our culture, whether it's a small culture within a small group or a larger culture. And so as a result, we create preferences of likes and dislikes, friends, enemies, in crowds, heretics, and those who we malign. I spoke in my last podcast about the undigested thoughts 
in the virtual world talked about the idea of the importance and this was talking about time and the example I gave was where you're really annoyed with somebody and you uh, what you do in the old days is write a letter you think about it you write it you put a stamp on the envelope you walk to the mailbox and then you decide it's just not worth it as opposed to today where what we can do is I'm really pissed off I'm going to send this right away blip I send it and then the other person on the other end has a knee-jerk reaction and they blip it back and they blip it back and back and forth and back and forth back and forth until eventually someone says I've had enough I'm unfriending you I don't want to talk to you okay so what we need to be aware of is that the speed of virtual communication and the way in which we revere our thoughts and feel entitled to express them in speech and writing is less an expression in our culture of having a freedom of speech and more expression rather what it is is a look at our loss of critical thinking skills a respect for time the ability to listen and the civility to communicate in an on-the-level altruistic way to create the least amount of harm and hopefully to create the greatest benefit for all. So that's what we ideally want to see. But our virtual world and our 24-hour media cycle really doesn't go for that. You know, the notion in media where if it bleeds, it leads. And so what we do is we keep on stabbing stabbing the issue how often it does not matter who the interviewer is on whatever media whether it's in radio or it's in tv how many times i have witnessed moderators and interviewers go for something in a way which would inflict the most amount of discomfort thinking that that's kind of cool that that's really what what uh, media is about, what really being a good interviewer, uh, a good journalist is all about, is bringing things, and in Buddhism they say don't bring things to a painful point. There's all sorts of ways in which painful issues can emerge without necessarily making it so that you always go to that point where it just gets so intolerably uncomfortable and it's obvious that that is where the journalist is trying to go to. In one of my most recent Facebook posts about cancel culture, I wrote, and I'll read it to you. You may think you have the right to say what you want and within the First Amendment protection where you want. I also have the right to be selective in what I want to hear or read, to be the listener to or the reader of. Example. I do not own Facebook, but I rent, so to speak, a space on that platform I call mine. If you come into my space to berate or belittle me or others, spread falsities and absurd, unfounded conspiracies, I reserve the right to say to you for myself and those who would normally read my page, go away. I shall take down said offensive material and, if necessary, unfriend you. I'm not infringing on your right to say or write what you want, but not here. 
This is not about echo chambers. Based on my values, I hold that demonstrating civility is the best approach in resolving what even appears to be irreconcilable differences. You have the right to roam the rest of the virtual universe to plant your seeds in some other garden. In that, am I practicing cancel culture in a negative way? I am executing my right to look at something and say, you know, that's just not right. I remember when I was uh, when I was more actively raising teenagers that what would happen at the dinner table is it became clear that our two daughters would want to get into it in order to, in some ways, rile both myself and my wife. And they would go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and to see what was going to stick, how the other person would react, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, what happened, I would, either, I would say, listen, you guys want to do this, go into another room or go into your own rooms. And if you don't agree to either, I'm just going to get up and walk away because I don't want to listen to this nonsense. These are things we do. We do these as human beings. Now, let's look at this issue with respect to the notions of shaming and ostracism that is utilized. Because I want to put it more in the context of a larger picture. And I want to actually put it in the context of wrathful compassion. Okay? I remember that uh, a friend of mine who was doing a lot of work in Austin, Texas, and there were developers who were trying to develop certain areas which were really going to disadvantage a lot of poorer people. But these developers wanted to do what they wanted to do. And at that time, what seemed to be a reasonable tactic after going to city hall meeting after city hall meeting after trying to write uh, in op-ed pieces about why these were not good ideas what seemed to be the best thing to do at times was to shame some of these developers talk about some of their other schemes that they had done and the results of those schemes that they had done basically embarrassing them to back down so what I want to do is I want to put this in the context of what I described in terms of wrathful compassion. And this is from my book, The Path of Civility. Here you are dealing with intractable people or very difficult circumstances. Thus, confrontation or action to prevent action or decisions that are deemed harmful is considered necessary. It is always truly difficult to know if this is in fact the case. Hence, the three internal wisdoms need to be fully practiced. The wisdom of equanimity may be hard to practice in engagement as there is an obvious conflict. Thus, one needs to be sure that no advantage is being taken or power employed just because you can do so. While the words or action used by many may need to be stronger than you would normally use, perhaps even harsh at times, the use of this form of compassion must be rooted in love and humility. 
that this is the basis of action taken will be seen in feelings of remorse or regret that actions of this nature needed to be enacted. If possible, to express this remorse or regret can be a necessary salve of civility in order for the party on the receiving end to not feel that you are merely acting in a reactive pattern in a vengeful way. And therefore the phrase that may need to be said is, I regret to inform you, which there have been times in terms of my Facebook where I have told people, I regret to inform you that I am taking down this post or that I am at this point having you go to sleep for the next 30 days from my page. But let's open this lens on the concept of cancel culture. For although you may not like a newspaper or radio or TV station because they do not express your views, there are now media outlets for virtually every persuasion. These indeed create echo chambers from which we need to emerge to make substantive change. But we also need to be fearless to confront council culture systems like gerrymandering, redlining, the culling of voter lists, providing few or inadequate polling places in places of people of color or poor sections of towns, to make election days on days where it works for everybody so someone does not have to worry that they're taking time off or that they're going to get docked pay for going in to vote. I would contend, by the way, that our last election was indeed the fairest of all elections. Why? Because people could mail in their votes whenever and wherever. And so what happened was people were not fearful to go to uh, vote. They were not having to um, take time away. They could deliberate more. And therefore, they could, with more conscience, more anonymity, express their rights. And so we actually had, what, 150 million people vote. It's interesting that it was a pretty much split you know, 54, 46% population, and that says a lot. But there's a lot to be learned in that situation. But we need to really celebrate that we actually pulled that off. And finally, to practice and look at practices uh, that help to not disadvantage people in business and in industry and in government. These are the cancel issues we need to address to create the representative democracy we profess to have or aspire to achieve. Towards these ends, and in the best sense, we can see the notion of cancel culture within the context of discernment and being able to rally together with people of like mind without being overly distracted by a buzz in the back of our minds that takes on way too much time, too much energy from our efforts to try and do things that we hope are going to be done for the right reasons and to benefit everybody. Some of you know that I'm a Freemason, and Masons speak of circumscribing our desires, where we learn to rein in ourselves. In a laissez-faire world, 
discipline is considered to be repressive. Interestingly enough, the word discipline in Tibetan is tsultram, which also means joy. And what that means is, is that when we can approach things in a disciplined way and a discerning way and act on that with clarity, with mindfulness, there's actually greater joy. We feel more energy. We don't feel so um, defensive. We have more confidence because that discernment is something we did not back down from. We have disciplined ourselves and we have learned how to, learned how to use it for the benefit of everyone. It is important to remember in this context that civility doesn't happen on its own. It does take discipline. And if the need is to make it so that there's less buzz or distraction in your world so you can get on with the things that are most necessary, then possibly pushing certain things aside or making it so you don't have to listen to them so much may be an approach you need to take in order to accomplish what you hope to accomplish to create a more positive and sustainable world for everyone. So that's my two cents on the world of civility and the notion of cancel culture. I hope you found it interesting and I look forward to hearing your responses. Thanks so much for listening. This has been another podcast from the Worldwide Civility Council. We thank you for listening. For further information on civility and our other projects, please check out our website at civilitycouncil.org. Thank you.